Hello, and welcome to the 32nd, uh, 33rd, 33rd episode of Breaching Extinction. I guarantee you the episode that's going to come out this week or the next, I'm going to tell you it's the 33rd, but I just like moved a bunch of things around. So you can just ignore that and just look at whatever it says in the text because I'm not going to go change it. Um, but yes, hi, hello, welcome. Um, this week we've moved some things around because there are some really pressing topics going on in the world right now. So... Um, we are going to discuss kind of intersectional racism in the environmental field and how we combat that, how we have these conversations. Um, and there are usually parts of the episode that I would edit out because I feel like you guys don't really care about me explaining things to people, um, before and after the episodes, but just for the sake of people not knowing how to necessarily start these conversations, I decided I was going to leave them in there so that you guys can kind of see how I started the conversation and, all that jazz. Um, so hopefully you guys find it beneficial. Hopefully you guys are doing okay. Um, weird times, but yeah. Um, I think that's, yeah, that's, that's about it, but okay. Enjoy. I'm so excited to meet with you guys today. Are we, um, she, her pronouns, they, them, Awesome. She, her. She, her. Awesome. Because I, I always, like, want to say ladies or guys just because I'm from the Midwest and it's not, like, I'm not gendering people. That's just what I want to say. Um, yeah. But, yeah, awesome. So, my name's Erica. Um, I went to Eckerd in 20... I graduated in 2018 um, with environmental studies and psych, double major. Um, and I'm really glad to see that you guys have, like, the organization that you put together because that wasn't there when I was there. So, that's awesome. Um but yeah, I just want to talk about some like super important issues and like I realize this is a tough conversation to have especially right now given that our country is having riots and that another black man was just murdered for literally no reason. Um so I appreciate that you guys are like having the courage to talk about this. I also recognize that like these conversations are not it's not on you guys to educate people. Like, I get that. Um, it should be on us. So I appreciate that you're willing to kind of have that flexibility to to open up that conversation and, like, share your experiences and whatnot. Um, but, yeah, so this podcast is called Breaching Extinction, and there's a um, group of whales in Washington that are endangered and they're dying, and there's, like, a lot of facets to this, um, obviously. Um, and so we're tackling... The complexities of these conservation issues kind of from our social perspective um but also in this like it does focus on the residents but we want to talk about like gatekeeping that has to do with like white people in this field and money and like all of these other issues that maybe don't directly affect the southern residents but are holistic in the field that we need to address so that's kind of what the conversation i wanted to open up here today um do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Tell us like your major, where you're from, all that jazz. Yeah, I can go first. Cool. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. My name is Alex Gordon. I use she, her, hers pronouns. I'm originally from Houston, Texas, and I'm a rising junior at Eckerd College in St. Petersburg, Florida, and I study um, environmental studies and political science. Awesome. Hi, my name is Fauna. I also use she, her, hers pronouns. Um, I also go to Eckerd College, and I'm a raising junior. Um, I'm from D.C., and I am a double major in biology with a focus in ecology and environmental studies. Excellent. Awesome. Um, so 
I do just want to open it up and make sure that it's like your guys' voices that are coming through, not necessarily mine. So this is more of an open-ended conversation, but let's just like put it out there. There's no, there's like virtually no people of color in the environmental science field. And like you guys know that because you go to Eckerd, which is like when I describe it to people, I'm like, it's like an environmental STEM liberal arts college. And you know, we talked about all these issues in our classes, but yet there's like no people of color around. So do you want to maybe talk about your experiences with that and maybe like why that exists? Yeah. Um, so for me being from DC, anytime that I was like involved with anything that was related with the environment, like the programs I was in throughout high school, um, I was always in really diverse environments and I always saw people that looked like me, people who didn't look like me. And so it wasn't until I got to Eckerd that I realized that what I grew up with wasn't reflective of what like the environmental movement is overall. Um, so when I got to Eckerd and I realized that the movement isn't as diverse and as inclusive it needs to be, um, it made me get more passionate about like how we can make like the conservation movement and uh, climate change action more diverse. And I think there's a lot of barriers that prevent communities of color from getting involved. Um, and I think it it has a lot to do with like representation. And I feel like with me, since I saw people that looked like me that were use, occupying these spaces, I like, that's like something that motivated me to like get interested in those things. And so a lot of people don't grow up with that. And I think if you look at a career like into a field and you don't see people that look like you, it's hard for you to believe that you belong in that space, so. Absolutely. Yeah, I've had very similar experiences to Fauna. I grew up in inner city Houston, so I've always been surrounded by um, other people of color. I went to really diverse primary schools. And so going to Eckerd was definitely a shock. Um, I was ready for it, I knew it was happening, but nothing can really prepare you for standing out so much in every space that you're in. Um, but something that has really motivated me is just finding folks on our campus like Fauna, finding other people of color who are interested in the same thing I am. I didn't really have that many idols growing up that worked in the environmental space other than my aunt and Steve Irwin, really. Mm -hmm. um, so finding other folks that I could look up to, that I could lean on was essential to encouraging me to keep pushing and and, and working towards my passions. Um, and I also think something to note, just to add on to what Fauna said about um, why, why the environmental movement is really like this and the environmental science space is really like this. Um, also just has something to do with the way we phrase environmental jobs or the way people approach the job sphere. I was never really, I never really knew that getting involved with environmental policy and politics or environmental organizing was an option for me until college. Um, and it was never ever pitched to me other than like, you should be a doctor or you should be a business person or you should be a lawyer. Like we don't really talk about environmental jobs that much especially not for young people of color. It's just not an option that's really ever presented to us. So I think that's something the school systems need to work on. Um, and that's just a general education gap that we have as well. Yeah, yeah I definitely, sorry, <laughs> um, I definitely agree with what Alex said. Um, I think especially on the East Coast, environmental education is not emphasized in the school systems. And I think 
like families or especially white families that like take their kids out like hiking or to parks and they interact with naturalists that's how they're learning all this information about like the animals in their area and the plants and things like that and so if the only access that you have to the outdoors is like through school and your school isn't providing that it's like how are you supposed to know that like these spaces exist especially when you're young and also when your family was never like introduced to those areas as well yeah that makes a lot of sense um and i agree with you with the school system not putting enough emphasis on it i um went to school in Ohio and in Texas, like during grade school. And I, I see what you're talking about. And it is so important to have those leaders and those people that you can look up to. And I'm glad to see you guys emerging in this field because you'll get to be those people that other people look up to. Um, why do you think that um, there are only like white people that kind of go and have these like naturalist experiences or go out on their own? Is there something that, that, we're doing that like makes people of color feel uncomfortable or not welcome is there something that we could change to make that more open and accessible to everyone yeah. i think, I, think <laughs> <laughs> um i mean I, th- I feel like there's a lot that's there's a lot that people can be doing on the individual level you know again just with education and inclusivity training um for everyone in every aspect of our society. Um, But I also think when organizations who are doing naturalist work are honest and transparent, open about their lack of diversity, that makes me as a person of color respect that organization so much more, the fact that they're just acknowledging that there is a gap. Um, Because it's gonna take a while to, you know, there's no, sweet spot there's not a perfect number of people of color and white mm-hmm. people and people of a different gender identity to to make an organization or space diverse it just takes time and it'll take people changing their mindsets it'll take really people recognizing that there is a gap in order to fill that gap and i don't think enough environmental organizations are taking the time to recognize the gap in the first place Yeah, I would agree with you. And I think this is something you're going to experience when you graduate is like, you know, being at Eckerd, you're surrounded by people that have these conversations. And a lot of these conversations are not had in the real world, which is terrifying and very sad. Um, But yeah, like, 100% I see what you're talking about. Like, I, I very rarely see environmental organizations like recognize that it's like mostly rich white people that are straight, you know? Um, Fauna, did you want to add something to that? Yeah, I definitely agree with Alex, and I think the first step is awareness and that people need to acknowledge that there is a gap um, with who is occupying these spaces and who has careers in that environmental field. Um, And I think when companies or organizations are acknowledging that there is a problem, I think a lot of the time, especially white people will think that, like, the environment doesn't discriminate, like, the mountains can't tell who belongs here and who doesn't. Like, everybody should be welcome here. Mm-hmm. But, like, I think it's important to remember that all the issues that are happening in society, like racism and discrimination, that automatically doesn't disappear when you occupy outdoor spaces because people who are using those spaces still can discriminate and they still have prejudice and they still can enforce stereotypes. And so I think especially people who are in outdoor recreation or who are going hiking and camping and all that stuff um, need to remain open-minded if they see 
people of colors, um, people of color out in those spaces. Um, and I think a lot of time people are like, oh, there's like a black person out here hiking. What are they doing out here? Or like things like that, because we're often not seen in those spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think definitely education is awareness about our own bias um, and things like that, just being aware and educating yourself. Absolutely. Um, are there any resources that you recommend where people can go educate themselves? And what's the also let's talk about like what's appropriate to ask people of color as well, because that is something that people don't know either, you know? Mm-hmm. Anybody? I think Alex is frozen. <laughs> oh, uh oh. She might be back. Yeah. There she is. Did, did you I, did you hear that you one? Good? Yeah, we got you. Okay. <laughs> um, did you hear that last question? Yes. Awesome. Yeah. Do you want to answer it? Sure. Cool. Yeah. I don't have like a list of resources off the top of my head, um, but I follow, I think sometimes people think that, you know, there's a, a right way to approach learning about race and like there's like, there's a criteria, there's a standard thing that you need to do to learn about race and break down your walls and become more equitable and inclusive, but really it just takes like a Google search. Um, one thing that I would always recommend to people is just diversifying their feed. Um, on If you have social media, Instagram, Twitter, there are just as many incredible black and queer and various people of color working in the naturalist space, environmental scientists, rock climbers, hikers, trail runners, um, marine biologists. There's so many and people just don't know they're out there because mainstream media doesn't give them as much attention as like the traditional um, white straight male environmentalist, but they're out there. So I just encourage people to do a quick Google search over um, some Instagram accounts to follow. And it's just so inspiring to see the work they're doing. Um, And I think it also just helps break down some of those barriers and walls we don't even know we have up just by seeing more people of color when we're scrolling. Um, So that's one thing I definitely recommend to people. Awesome. Yeah, I definitely agree with Alex. Um, I recently started like diversifying my social media because um, I realized that like all like the outdoor people that I followed, they didn't look like me. It was like the typical like white male or white women. Um, and so it took like a little bit of digging for me to find like people that were like were more representative of like all the people who are involved in the outdoors. Um, I think definitely social media is a really big tool also because there's so many people on social media that are like posting things about how we can diversify outdoor spaces and the importance of making these spaces more inclusive. So I think the resources are definitely out there. Um, And like you mentioned this before, Erica, like it's not the job of people of color to like provide this education, but there are people of color who are already for free and stuff. Um, So I think you, you have to find those people. And also if you have like, a simple question just do a google search there's resources out there um so yeah yeah that's awesome um so obviously this is like not it's not an easy conversation to have because people have like egos and guilt and like this is a huge problem and there's no there, it, there's never an easy conversation when it's a huge problem um and i like what you said alex with like there's no standard and we kind of think that there is um but i do want to you know Um, just have a discussion about things that people that white people could be mindful of when trying to have these conversations and maybe like some things that might encourage them to have these conversations like are there any 
things that you would recommend to people that they either like say or don't say or that they know or don't I don't know do you kind of get what I'm saying yeah yeah um I think personally um when talking to other or when talking to white folks in the environmental space I just really look for recognition of the long-term history of racism and oppression in the environmental movement. Mm -hmm. It's not talked about enough. I'm really thankful that um, a bunch of my classes at Eckert do recognize it Mm -hmm. and the conversations are starting to happen, but I would really encourage white people to get more familiar with how oppressive the environmental movement and the original conservation and preservation movements were. Um, Even, you know, like environmental idols like John Muir and the national park systems have a really dark history with oppressing indigenous nations. Um, so I would really appreciate if more people knew about that and were respectful of that um, when having conversations, especially, you know, out on trails. I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos mm-hmm. of people hiking, you know, like the PCT and the AT nowadays since they can't get out there. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, I know. But I think it's just, it. it's unfortunate to see people hiking these trails and not acknowledging the darker side of the history behind them. So even just a quick acknowledgement of that when I'm having conversations with folks makes me feel a lot more comfortable and I think will move the environmental movement forward in so many ways. So that's one thing I recommend. And also, um, this is just something I recommend in general. Like If it seems when talking about race to another person of color, if it seems off-putting, it probably is, and it could possibly be harmful. So I just encourage uh, folks to really think about what they're saying when entering these discussions, because um, it is really personal for people of color. I think a lot of times, rate when, like discussions about race are so hyper-analyzed and talked about in the media that we forget that it's really personal, and this is my life. Um, so I think folks should just... I just encourage folks to think about that more when having these conversations. And you're doing a great job, Erica. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, uh, like, so whenever you're having conversations about race, it's going to be uncomfortable. And I think people need to sit in that uncomfortable feeling. Um, and I think it's really important that white people are listening to what people of color are saying and not try to diminish what their feelings are. Um, if somebody is saying that, like, I'm uncomfortable in this space because of this, this, and this, it's not the job of a white person to try to argue what they're, what that person of color is feeling. Um, and I think also with Alex had just acknowledging history of the land. Um, I think a lot of the time when you hear about, like, environmental history, you hear about, um, like, John Muir and these white, white people who, like, colonize these lands and, like, had really devastating impacts for indigenous peoples. Um, And I think just even the National Park Service can do a better job of acknowledging their history. Um, Like when I was in high school, I wrote a research paper about how the creation of Yellowstone impacted indigenous communities. And then last summer I had the opportunity to go to Yellowstone and I was really excited to see how the research I did would be reflected in the park. And the park did not do a really great job of like talking about its history before um, before it was created into Yellowstone in the history of the land. Um, or even like, I didn't know that Shenandoah National Park was segregated when it first was created. Whoa. And, like, exactly. And I go to Shenandoah all the time and I did not know that. Um, so I just think just our history needs to be more inclusive too. Like also there's so many 
amazing figures um, throughout history that were people of color and they've done so much for um, the conservation movement and nobody talks about them. And like the people that I've learned about was from me doing my own research. Um, so like for example, there's this man named John Francis who's an environmental activist and he's also known as the Planet Walker. And so after um, an oil spill in San Francisco in the 1970s, he made a vow to never use motorized vehicles. Over 22 years of his life, he walked everywhere. And 17 years of that, 17 years of those 22, he was silent the entire time. Um, because a lot of time people would argue with him about what he was doing and why he was doing it. So he was also silent for many of those years to really emphasize that he's listening to what people think. And during those, that silence, he also got three degrees in college. He walked from like the West Coast to DC. Like he like is so cool and so amazing and like nobody knows who he is. So I think it is, it's, it's kind of discouraging when like we're only hearing about um, like white men who've like made impacts in the conservation movement in this country when there's so many other people who've also had a really big impact so yeah that guy sounds like a total bad and I didn't know about him either um but yeah you're totally right that's important and I think you know it's a you know social media is a big thing and people can pick and choose what they want to see and so it's like it's important not to be like echo chambery, but also to look for these things but I think we also need to hold the media accountable too for the fact that like because I mean I'm like I'm a queer woman but like like obviously like the whole I see white people in this field all the time like that's I always knew that this was an option for me um but like you know the media needs to be accountable for like being like hey because like you're not always you can't tell if a person's queer by looking at them being like this person's clear queer this person's disabled this person has this or that or whatever but there's just so much like rich white people stuff and I think it's difficult because the media is created by rich white people and like that needs to change too and I think we're we're shifting into a space where like that is is something that can happen but you're totally right that history is so important because there's so much oppression there's so much like generational pain that's carried but like you know that's it's still it still affects people and like if people don't understand that at this point I don't think they ever will but like yeah you're so right like you know I didn't know about these people and it's like sometimes you don't even know the first place to look but making that information more accessible that's I think that you guys are really on the right track with that. Um, yeah. Do you guys have anything else to add to that? Um, with what you said about the media, it definitely is a big factor in this. Um, and I think the definition of what it means to like be passionate about the environment or what it means to be like an outdoorsy person, that needs to change. Um, because I think a lot of the time when like these outdoor brands are like showing photos of people like spending time outside they like are wearing wearing like really expensive gear or they're like in these really vast beautiful landscapes and that is not accessible to anyone like not everybody can afford really fancy gear and also like growing up in a city my time spending outdoors is not the same as somebody who lives like in a more like rural area or somebody that has like access to national parks like often um so i think it's in the media like showing that like spending out time but spending time like at like a local park or like green spaces in cities also will help with like showing that like youth and communities of color like in urban areas also have access to like outdoor spaces and that just because your outdoor space doesn't look like what's in the media doesn't mean it's not any less valid than what is shown um now so yeah, I think that that's a really valid thing that you brought up that I hadn't even thought of, but that's, like, that's 100%. I, like, you know, yeah, that's, 
that's totally a thing. It's like you, the people that you see are like, I talked about this a little bit with Michelle Fleur, who's an um, artist, but she talked about how she felt there were issues with like um, appearance in the environmental mm-hmm. field too. So like, not only is there that money thing, but it's like people are fit and like gorgeous and like, or the stereotypical, you know, traditional style of gorgeous, which I don't agree with. Like, but there's so many, there's so many different layers and it's just like, we need the people who are like, who continue to push this to care. And it's like, it's just, how do we get them to do that? And I think it's just like, we continue to amplify these voices, but you brought up at a point, important point of listening, which makes me feel like I'm talking too much, but like, we have to listen. It's like, you can't, like, you don't get to decide how somebody feels or how their life has been changed by your behavior, you know, or your ancestors, you know? Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah, do you guys have any comments on that? Yeah, I was just going to add a really quick plug. I recently started following this account called Unlikely Hikers. Um, So I just want to plug them. It's such (laughs) a good Instagram account. Um, It's full of people of color, differently able people, queer people, folks of various gender identities, different body types. And it's just so awesome to see all of these people doing um, really great work. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just want to plug them really fast. (laughs) But also, um, I just wanted to bring up, you know, I think when we talk about the environment or what a job in the environmental space looks like, it's pretty, we have this predisposed notion of what that looks like and what that is. And when I mentioned to people, you know, like I I work in the environmental nonprofit sector, like I want to eventually, they immediately section off the environment and then like business work and then being a doctor or like living your life it's it's a very separate sphere I feel like Mm -hmm. so I think another important thing is just recognizing and I do this too I definitely like section off the environment sometimes but going to college has really exposed me to the fact that the definition of the environment is so huge and it encompasses everything and jobs in the environmental sector whatever that actually Mm -hmm. is is really um it's really in every sector Mm -hmm. um of our economy and of our society so I think it's just really important to recognize, you know, we can't just live in our own little environmental world because it's everything. Right. Um, And I think in the 1980s, when the environmental justice movement really started to Mm. come up, um, they completely redefined what the environment is, and that was crucial. And I think we just need to keep doing that. Um, So also another plug, if people are interested in writing more resources about people of color and the environmental movement, the environmental justice movement, what that looks like there's a website called ejnet um, and it's just the hub for every single document on environmental justice environmental racism um, but also lists a lot of voices of people of color historically in the environmental movement who haven't been lifted in the past that's awesome um yeah i'll definitely be sure to put that in like the the bio for this episode so that people can easily find that um yeah that's super important um is there anything else that you want people to know or anything that you just, you just like, if you just have any feelings about whatever, just any comments that you want to make about this issue um, at all? So many. So I'm many. Trying to narrow them down. <laughs> yeah. I think the biggest thing for me um, is I just one want other people of color and especially young people of color who are interested in the environment and think they're a little 
Oh, you're cutting out again. Thank you for being a and the environmental. Oh, no. Am I back? Okay. <laughs> All right. We got you back. Oh, gosh. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay. Should I just start over? Yeah, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> okay. So, yes. I think the two big things I just want people to know is first, I just want other um, people of color and especially young people of color to know that there's so much space for them in the environmental movement. And I wish I'd known that when I was growing up and I wish I had more people to look to when I was in elementary, middle and high school. Um, so I just really encourage people of color to share their stories, share what they're doing. Um, and that will definitely inspire some young people. Um, I know from firsthand experience. And then also I just wanna highlight how important having these conversations are. Um, people of color you know, have historically been left out of this movement. Um, but we've always been there, and I think it's way past time for folks to recognize that, for big environmental nonprofits to recognize that, conservationists, individuals. Um, so I just want people to know, like, we're here, we're doing really great work, and I challenge um, white people and non-Black POCs and Black people to just find more resources and talk to more people to learn more about how diverse the environmental movement really is because it looks like it's not um and at face value it's not but when you do some digging it's it, it's growing and it's getting there yeah absolutely yeah. do you want to add something else Fana? yeah sure <laughs> um i want to thank you for like holding the space for us to talk about this this is a really important conversation um and i think people like if you if you see behavior somebody saying things that aren't inclusive if you see like in your workspace that if you're like in a workspace and you feel like your job can do a better uh do better work of making um your space more inclusive um like do that like challenge challenge people in your workplace call things out call out like things you see on social media if you see like an outdoor brand not being uh, very inclusive or not representing people from different backgrounds, call mm -hmm. them out. Um, and I think also for anybody who does get called out for maybe saying something that's not the best thing to say or doing behavior that um, may seem exclusive, not to feel like a person is attacking you, but they're just trying to help you and they're pointing out something that you said and did and not you as a person. So don't don't shut down just be open-minded when people are trying to educate you or telling you things that you should be more aware about yeah I think that that's really important and you know at Eckerd there's a lot of good leadership training and I've read some different books but I think that's one of the the things that a lot of people need to get over with a lot of issues is like we all make mistakes and like mm -hmm. it's okay to make mistakes and I think that we need to have patience on both ends of like the person making the mistake and then like the person who is at the other end of that but like the the important thing is how you handle it. It's not exactly. like the mistake itself. It's like, okay, how are you going to change it? Because, you know, I just read Man's Search for Meaning again, and Viktor Frankl talked about, he's a Holocaust survivor, and he had talked about um, this, there was a guy who was like literally a murderer, and he turned around, and like, he was like one of the most violent people like within the, the group of people he was in the Holocaust with, and he turned around to be like one of the most like, kind-hearted people and that's a very extreme example but like that just goes to show but like people were 
they were accepting of him and they were able to see his heart once he kind of worked through the issues of whatever he had. Um, but you know, we need to, to like, people can change. We need to like, even the worst people can change. We need to give them that opportunity, but it's like, learn from your mistake. Like, don't let it define you because if you, if you actually like, are like, Hey, I said something that wasn't okay. Or I did something that wasn't okay. Like, and then you fix it. People are going to know you for that, not for the mistake. So don't, don't let it be, you know, don't let it get twisted. That's what I have to say to people, but yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, I am curious too, to hear more about like your guys's passion for animals, um, or the environment or like, just tell me like, I don't know a little bit about like some of your favorite experiences in the environment, favorite animals, plants, whatever you, what, what lights you up about the environment? I want to hear about that. I can go first. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Um, I, so last summer I had the opportunity to do field research in Yellowstone National Park in the Grand Tetons. Mm -hmm. Um, and so my research group, um, we're focusing on bats and ever since that I really love bats like a lot um and I think I'm not like completely sure yet about like what direction I want to go when I get out of college when it pertains to like food research um the bats make me really happy um, and I think they're super cute um but I just in general I always have really liked hiking um or just like sitting outside um but yeah and also just Working with like youth of color also makes me super excited and super happy. Um, like last summer, I worked at the U.S. Botanic Gardens, um, like teaching plant science, and all the kids were uh, youth of color, and just seeing them so excited and so passionate, and like asking questions and like talking about bees and like the sun and the plants and photosynthesis, and seeing them so excited that just makes me like really happy because I know that they like, they know that they can be in my shoes one day, and like that this is something that they can do too. So I think just working with youth and seeing them always like so happy and curious and like full of light, it also makes me super happy, so. That's awesome. Yeah, that's so cool. (laughs) Um, For me, I first knew that I wanted to get involved with the environment in some way, shape or form in 2010 after the BP oil spill. and I'm from Houston. I used to go to the, we're only about 30, 45 minutes from the coast. Mm-hmm. Um, so it impacted me really heavily as a 10 year old and it made a pretty huge impact on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sparked all of my interest in the environment, but I didn't know what to do. I had no idea and no one was really providing me the resources other than Animal Planet mm-hmm. and my aunt who is a science teacher. Um, so she was always just encouraging me to see more animals. Um, she had a pet snake and that like mm-hmm. totally lit me up when I was a kid. Um, so just seeing the work that she did is what really sparked me. Um, but like I said, like I had no idea what I could do with that interest until I got to college and I started learning more about the nonprofit sector, which is where my passions lie now. Um, but I'm just a big ocean girl. Yeah. Anything about the ocean, <laughs> I am obsessed with Chasing Coral is like, I cry every time, my favorite movie, it's so good. Um, And I definitely attribute that to my parents and my aunt um, encouraging me to keep fueling that passion, even though I live in a concrete jungle. Um, I'm here back in my childhood bedroom and it's just reminding me of how very little exposure I had to the environment. Mm -hmm. I'm so fortunate that I had parents and family members who would take me to the beach, um, who would have honest conversations with me about things like the BP oil spill and how corrupt the oil and gas industries really are. And that allowed me at a young age to really see the 
change needs to happen. I just I didn't figure out where I could intervene at that change um, for quite some time after I figured out that it needed to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so it's just been such an interesting growing opportunity to see my passion from my 10 year old self to now um, being 20. And it's just so it's so interesting to see how how quickly we grow, but also how much time it takes to find out what makes what really makes me spark. Um, and it used to be whales and dolphins and things <laughs> like that. But now it's um, just systems of, of equitable transformation to a zero waste society or like things like that. Yeah. Things I never yeah. even knew existed as a 10 year old. So that's super awesome. I think, you know, one of the things I've noticed with ocean people is like, they've always known since they were like five or 10. I, yeah. <laughs> I've known since I was two and I didn't even know that I knew, but my family members knew because I was like obsessed with manatees. Um, but that, that's so cute. I love that you guys like have that passion and I'm really excited to, to see where you guys go because I know, I mean, you go to Eckerd, you know what the vibe is. Like people go on to do like great things there. And like, I'm just excited to see you guys occupy these spaces and be like leaders that are like women and like, especially women of color. And that like, you know, I really am thankful that you guys are willing to have this conversation because it is, it's a hard one to have. And like, I know 100% it's not your responsibility, but I want to do my part to make it accessible to other people. So I appreciate that you guys have been open to this and that you're willing to share your story. Thank you, Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, the <laughs> final question that I always ask people, um, which I'll, I'll ask you guys a different one. Um, I always ask people, what can we learn from the Southern resident killer whales? But you guys are on the East coast of Florida. <laughs> and so you probably don't know who these whales are, but um, Fada, I want to know what we can learn from bats. And then Alex just like pick some animal and tell us what we can learn from them. Okay. Um, I think with everything that's been going on with coronavirus, the stigma that bats are these nasty little creatures that like we don't really value, like that stigma needs to go away. Bats are so important um, and they help monitor, like uh, help regulate mosquito populations. If you hate mosquitoes, you should love bats. So. Nice. <laughs> nice. Um, well, I'll choose coral since I mentioned chasing coral as my favorite movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we can learn so much from coral. I think they're the coolest animal because they're an animal and a plant. Um, and I just think one thing we can take from pretty much every ocean creature is adaptation and living in the space that you're in the best that you can. And corals do that. Mm-hmm. They use their little microbes to eat during the night and then they photosynthesize during the day. They have two parts to them. Um, and I just feel like humans can really pick up on um, more of the mental adaptation, obviously not physical adaptation yes. in such a quick amount of time, mm-hmm. um, but just, just knowing that people have two sides to them and we can learn so much from just observing and listening to people. Yeah. And bats are also cool. Go bats. Yes. <laughs> bats are super cool. I do also want to note that bats can also eco-locate just like killer whales. Yes. Um, so if people didn't know that, now you know, which is important. Um, but yeah, that I mean, I feel like that's a really good note to end on because bats are great communicators and we need to keep communicating to people all these issues and like put people's voices on the forefront that matter. So thank you for sharing your voice. Again, I super appreciate it. I'm super stoked to see what you guys are doing and like that Eckerd grads are still out there killing it and that y'all are out here occupying the spaces that you deserve to be in. So thank you.
Thank you for having us. Yes, yeah, of course. Providing the space. Of course. Um, if you if you ever have anything else that you want to talk about too, like you can always reach out, and you're more than welcome to use my platform to say whatever it is that you need to say. So if you or anybody else feels that way, this is this is always an open door. So yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Yes, of Thank course. You. All right. Have a good day, guys. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us again this week. I hope this conversation was helpful. Um, and I hope that you guys are able to have more conversations like this in the field. They're super important. Um, at the end, I did say that um, this, you know, this platform can be used for those girls to come back and talk about things again. But I do want to open that up to anybody who's a part of any sort of group or has any sort of comment. Um, these you know, it's really important that we amplify, ampl- ugh, words are hard, amplify our voices, um, everyone from any background. And so I'm always more than willing to have that conversation with people because I know that it's important and we want this field to be as strong as possible and we want to make sure that everybody feels included. So um, just, I guess the best way to reach me is like through social media for now. Um, and then I can get you my email from there. But if you want to have a conversation about something, um, serious and hard or whatever, just shoot out whatever we can use this platform to amplify anyone and everyone's voices that need to be heard. Everyone is important. Um, and especially those who are marginalized, we need to give them special attention, but yes, hope you guys have a great week. Um, hope you're enjoying Orca month, pride month. Hope you're gay for whales. I know that I am. Um, but yeah, enjoy your stuff. Next week, we should be talking with Deborah Giles about what you can do for Orca Month um, and different things to do with that. So unless our episodes move again, which who knows, the world's on fire. I don't know what's going on. But yeah, okay, bye. Have a good week.